What's up, everybody? This is episode five of the Trumpet Summit. My name is John Raymond. Today, we are getting into it with, in my opinion, one of the most severely underrated jazz trumpet players in the world. I'm talking about John McNeil. Are you guys hip to John McNeil? Because if you aren't, let me give you a little bit of background, all right? John came onto the New York scene in the mid-70s when he started playing with the Thad Jones Mel Lewis Orchestra and shortly after that got into Horace Silver's band and played with Horace for a number of years as well as started to record under his own name with Steeplechase Records and many others over the years in which he's released so many great records of his own. John is an amazing producer as well. But on top of all this, John is truly one of the heaviest teachers and authors out there. Okay, You might know him from the book Flexus, which he co-wrote with the late, great Lori Frink, or the book of his called The Art of Jazz Trumpet. Both of these are seminal books that you have to have in your library if you're a jazz trumpet player. So this conversation was a special one for me because I actually had the chance to study with John for a number of years myself when I was living in Brooklyn. And immediately upon hearing him, getting to talk with him, I knew that this guy was one of the sages of the music. And I can honestly say that studying with him was one of the most transformative things that's ever happened for me as a player. So this is the first time that John and I have spoken in about four years since I left New York. And I think you guys are going to really love this conversation. Here's John McNeil. All right. Time for a shameless plug. There aren't any sponsors for this podcast, so if you want to support what I'm doing, one way that you can do that and actually get something out of it is by going to my website, john-raymond.com, and picking up a PDF or a hard copy of my new book called The Jazz Trumpet Routine, which is a fundamentals book geared towards creative improvisers that is essentially designed to rethink how we go about practicing and approaching fundamentals from the perspective of a jazz trumpet player, okay? It includes over 175 different exercises that are designed for players of all ages, all ability levels, as well as for those who have any amount of experience in jazz or improvisation. More importantly though, the book is gonna help you develop an approach and a concept for how to do those exercises in a way that mirrors the improvisation process so that fundamentals and improvisation become one and the same. But the best part is that every single exercise comes with a call and response style play along recording that you can practice with so that you can hear an example of how it should sound and then imitate it yourself. And this is the whole idea behind the book is to develop such a vivid concept of how you want something to sound and then simply play what you hear, right? Trumpet playing is really meant to be that easy. So check it out, john-raymond.com. I'd appreciate your support. John, thanks so much. This is great to see you again, and, and I'm really excited to to chat. Yeah, thanks for thanks for asking me. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Well, hey, I I want to dive in, and um, I'd love to hear you share a little bit about just how you developed some certain things in your playing, because I feel like when I listen to you, you have a way of saying things that to me is very unique. I I, I can hear 
language and I can hear traces of, of people and traces of things, but I feel like you're always saying it in your own way. And to me, I think that's increasingly rare, you know? It's a very nice thing to say to me, actually. When I was, uh, when I was a young lad back <laughs> in the 50s, you know, we, we didn't have instruments back then. We just hit each other with rocks, you know? <laughs> But we had love for the music. That was it. Anyway, I, uh, I, <clears throat> uh, that was my goal. And all the guys I was hanging out with at my age and trying to learn to play, uh, it was the, everyone's goal. If, if it wasn't stated, it was there, uh, that we wanted to be recognized by our sound. You know, and our mm. sound isn't like the literal timbre of the instrument, but the whole thing, the language and everything. Sound, it's that meaning of sound. Then like, uh, we'd often say, man, if you, if you drop uh, a needle on a, on a record, you know, that's, tells you when it was, if you drop a needle, <laughs> right. it wouldn't be, wouldn't be like maybe more than 10, 12 bars and you'd know it was me or you'd know it was this guy or whatever. And uh, one of the worst things you could say to anybody who's insulting is, hey, you sound like blah, blah. Even sound like somebody great. You know? Hey, you sound mm -hmm. like Freddie Hubbard. What? Get out of here. You know? well, how dare you? Right. Not because, not because it wasn't great or something, but it's just like uh, that wasn't the idea. Mm -hmm. you know? Or you'd hear somebody say, hey, now you, you say, you hear people say you should check this guy out. He's got, he he's got train and everything together. Sonny is just this great, you know. And I'm thinking like, well, why why would I want to go hear somebody? Mm -hmm. I was like those guys. I could listen to those guys, you know. I want a guy that you can't characterize. That's I'll go see him, you know. Yeah. And uh, and that's true. You don't see it much, but if I say stuff like that, I run the risk of being. Uh, Turned an old curmudgeon out of touch with what's really happening, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, I go out of my way to hear all the new guys as much as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are people with unique things that they're doing, you know, and uh, some complete statements, but uh, others, others not so much. When you're young, it's hard to really have yourself totally together that way. I think uh, a train didn't really come into his own until he was around 30 or so. Miles, some of the same. Yeah. Uh, they didn't, uh, Miles actually, there's an interview with him where he says, uh, it takes a long time to play like yourself. You know? And yeah, yeah. about that, start weeding stuff out. Anyway, what would you, what would you like to talk about that? Uh, did you, uh, uh, wish any, any sort of, uh, I mean, you flattered me by saying that. <laughs> oh, yeah, to pay the price. Why, right. Why did that come to mind particularly? Well, I don't know. I, I think maybe maybe it's coming from, you know, from my perspective, sort of coming up in a time period where in a very jazz education heavy environment, there seems to be a lot of talk of like, oh, we'll just copy this person, imitate this person. And, and obviously we know that, you know, we need to imitate people in order to learn the language and in order to, to really get our feet wet into what this music is all about. But, uh, 
you know, even going back to something you said a second ago, it's really interesting to me that that was not your motivation from a very, from very early on, you know, like you wanted to sound like yourself. And to me, that's really interesting because I, I don't feel like that's maybe the common thing amongst younger players now. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, I, I, I voiced it to John Handy and he told me, uh, the, what I needed to do was imitate a, enough people. <laughs> you know, he said, you know, you don't learn to, it's just like speaking, which is true. And he says, you don't learn to speak, uh, by, um, listening to only to one person and talking like him, mm. you copy everybody, you know, that's what you do. You don't start talking like yourself. You copy uncle Phil and then your dad and then your best friend, and this other person over there and put things together like that. And, uh, I mean, how else are you going to do it? And, uh, but he said, like, if, if you need to imitate people, but you need to imitate them enough so you absorb what they have to offer mm. and have as your goal to have your own sound, not theirs. And, and so as you're, as you're learning what they do and how they do it and try to, what is it, try to experience, what does it feel to play like that? And these things, what, uh, the, and uh, you analyze the stuff that they've put together in, in, in a solo and say like, well, how could I put this stuff together like that, but not have those specific notes at that particular time? In other words, what are the general principles he's following here? Mm. And, you know, and I mean, that's, we don't often <laughs> admit to thinking stuff like that. I don't yeah. call it those names, but I mean, like, now how did he work this out? You know, I, what if I did this? Ah. That's the same thing, but it doesn't sound like that, but I could use that. So was that kind of your process even early, early on? Yeah, I was doing, I was, anything I, I, uh, I transcribed a lot, but anything I transcribed, I, I tried to change it. So just change it enough. So why wouldn't you just copy it somehow? Hmm. And then, uh, what happened was that, uh, geez, I copied about six different players, trumpet players. And uh, I copied uh, Herbie and uh, McCoy and, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, who else? Uh, of course, Bird, saxophone, you know, Sonny Rollins, a lot. Yeah. Try and get, uh, obviously, not trumpet stuff from them. But so I, I think the secret is uh, to imitate enough. And so, so much is made of being a, a, like an original guy that they wind up people that don't want to imitate kind of cut themselves off from a, a whole bunch of stuff it doesn't it's not going to make you uh boring if you only copy one guy then that's a drag man if you if you're yeah. a tenor player you only listen to joe henderson you just copy him all the time that happens you know somebody graduates from some college and he shows up in new york and he sounds just like joe henderson and here in New York, it's sort of at the point where like, well, what's that guy doing? He's sound just like Joe. I, who wants to hear that? I right. want to hear Joe, you know, I mean, what, what's he got to say? And uh, it's, it's a strange thing that happens. If you do enough, enough different people, it seems to like, it tends to coalesce. Your mind sort of weeds things out, it takes the things that are common stuff, like that, and besides, you're only copying people you like. 
and you're only copying solos that you like, right? Right. Some choices were in there too. And uh, uh, I mean, if you're only going to copy one guy, you're better off not to copy anybody. Mm. So you could take this any way you want from a melodic standpoint or a harmonic standpoint, rhythmic standpoint, interaction standpoint, phrasing, whatever. What are, what are some things for you as an improviser that you feel like have piqued your interest the most over the years? Like things that you've tried to, to really explore in your own playing. Well, I think, uh, well, two or three things. Uh, one is, uh, solos that are built well they just keep going higher and higher and they have a, have a climax and come down off and then they have another one and then, then the whole thing you feel like you've been taken from point a to point r or something you just gone all the way you're taken on this trip with it and how did they do that because it's all it's so kind of thrilling and very satisfying to listen to somebody play like that take you along with them in other words not just put in time and play their horn for this length of time and then stop playing it. Hmm. But to take you emotionally uh, along with them on a trip which gains in uh, uh, in, in uh, intensity as it goes on, and not necessarily even volume, but, and it doesn't speed up or anything, you know, it just it just naturally gains in intensity. You know, uh, just sidetrack for, for a little bit, uh, uh, that uh, things separ- uh, a lot of young guys you'll uh, uh, substitute uh, increasing speed for increasing intensity you know, mm-hmm. they, they want to feel more intense they play faster and louder you know and uh, you think about this this uh, guy told me one time uh, an older fellow I was playing with uh, and we we're talking about this and he said oh man he said, you, uh, so you're going to cook some soup, you know, you, you put, take the soup, you put it on the, on the, uh, uh, on the stove, put a lid on it, you turn it on low and you just walk away. And then a half hour later, you come back and it's boiling, hmm. really boiling. You didn't turn it up. You just let it be. It gained energy all by itself and without, and just adding it at a consistent rate, you know. Mm. And I, I think uh, that's that's the way that goes. You know, if everything's locked in, it, and you have a, a direction you're going, and and you play in ways that combines the energies of the group or allows the the energies of the group to be combined, you know, with through through your playing, um, <clears throat> then. Uh, <clears throat> By the time you get done playing, it's, you should be at a much higher energy level without having done anything really specific to do that. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be up there. And uh, So are you kind of saying like it's not as much about what you do as the soloist, but rather how you harness the energy of everything around you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, it's, you can try to do it, but you won't last long. You'd be tired after two or three tones. You'd never make it. You know, you have to go take a nap. Uh, <laughs> we get, you know, we've all played with um, uh, rhythm sections like that. And a lot of times, uh, when I was first um, trying to build a jazz career, I was, I was thirty, 
So before I started to, to have a jazz career, I was just a, a freelance guy. And I decided at that point I wanted to just do jazz instead. I didn't want to do all this other stuff. Boy, did, did my uh, <laughs> bank 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 uh, bank balance take a hit? <laughs> just, I really I didn't realize that nobody wanted to hear me, <laughs> or they never heard of me. I, that was one small thing. But anyway, so I I kind of did a lot of get myself booked with some place play with the local rhythm section, you know. Yeah, and uh, I think. Overall, their rhythm section in different cities are are at a higher level than they are now. But if you do like a tune gig, you go out and rehearse with these guys and play a couple nights. Um, at that time, uh, you couldn't necessarily in Keokuk, uh, <laughs> is that in Illinois? I think Keokuk, I don't know, uh, it, or uh, Scranton or someplace. I don't know. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily have the people you might have in Chicago. You know, or uh, San Francisco or something, and and uh, sometimes the uh, the music felt its success really laid upon your shoulders, you know, right? And then well, that was so you had to I don't know you you come to doing things like uh, and anticipating harmony a lot, playing it rhythmically, and try and bring everything along with you, you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you, you got to have some vitamins, you know. It takes a lot of energy to do that. Mm. I'd always be real tired afterwards. I, I did my best, so I never, I never phoned it in. What other kind of things, like if you're in that situation, what, what did you find that you had to do to get the music to rise? Well, to it level? depends. I mean, if, uh, uh, well, you, you pick things. I mean, if you, right away you find out if guys can't keep a form, if they can't keep an AABA together, don't play that. Play A B A C or A B, or better yet, A B C D, or A. You know, it's one uh, like a blues or something. Yeah, it's a through composed thing, or or something easy, or something with a um, complete change in feel, like a like a pedal point or something that for uh, the uh, the last part of it or something. Things to keep the form together, little hallmarks, you know, and. Uh, and just don't ask them to do it. I mean, because they, you know, they they're not going to do it better. They're probably nervous. They'll do it worse. And so, and you want them to sound good. Right. You want them to sound good. But if they sound better, then uh, they'll play better. And besides, they're the people in this town. They know them. They want them to sound good. So you make them sound good, and <laughs> by that. And but what you can do is, uh, you can bring people along, like I said, by anticipating the harmony a little bit more. Uh, for like playing uh, playing it early, playing uh, notes that don't fit the chord you're in, but fit the next chord. Sure. You playing common tones, no one could tell what you were doing. But I mean, if you play to, uh, notes that aren't that are specifically alien to this sound that you're playing, that fit the next one, that's the effect that you get. And uh, sort of then cueing uh, uh, the rhythm section what what the next chord is sort of I'm telling you that but you're doing it in a way that uh, it subconsciously makes them pay attention to you sure you know it's like uh, you you sort of can control them a little bit in a nice way I mean you help them along you know right right. not controlling their life or anything but just that and uh, and also playing rhythmically and making making sure you use uh, 
a, a, a lot of syncopation maybe starting at the beginning and then uh, and then or maybe uh, put you can put syncopation at the beginning middle the end of a line you know if you start at the beginning the line will move forward a lot more yeah yeah we'll put it at the end it kind of ties a bow on it you know yeah and in the middle is just a surprise and uh, uh, so you do some of that but don't start start a lot of things bop bop voodoo you know that will not come in there but I see what I mean that's yeah that's the thing it, it sort of it's move things off the ground you know and then it doesn't matter the rhythmic feel where we're talking straight ahead right now it could be eight notes it could be anything um, but we're we're talking about what are the things that uh, uh, I wanted to do that I, I like this and so what, what one thing there was building a solo people who build solos and take you along with them uh, another thing was people who were able to get this uh, a contrast in what they're doing and, and then they would play a line and then they would play a, just a simple melody that just break your heart you know this technical stuff kind of line of stuff and then they just play a simple thing uh, for a few bars you know and it just oh it's so effective you know because it's framed by things that are not that yeah that every, every dramatic idea they have is framed either by things that aren't dramatic or space one or the other and so you don't hear uh, three or four dramatic things right in a row i feel like that hits on something that i love about your playing i i feel like the ideas you play are really fresh and you always seem in control of them like you never let you know that one thing just dominate anything that you play and it adds so much contrast to the music i that's the word i think i'm thinking of you know yeah i i, I see my uh well that's something i've thought about that's for sure uh because you know you record yourself and you hear it back and say yeah that's boring why always ask why like if you have this great phrase that somebody plays you say okay that's great i like it why do i like it what makes it work you say oh that's the when it comes to copying people, hey, uh, it's more than just like writing it down and playing it in every key. You know, <laughs> writing something down that they played that you like and then played it in every key and try to do it verbatim. You know, and uh, it's it's more than that. It's sort of like figuring out why that phrase worked and then play the why. You understand? Yeah, yeah. That's not, not, don't play the notes. Play the why. Play the reason. That that work. That's that's a better way to think about licks, you know. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not really a lick; it's sort of a principle of some kind. Right. Uh, anyway, so in contrast, uh, yeah, I always, uh, I, I think in terms of framing a lot. Uh, it, it, like if I play something that is dramatic and really has a a lot of. Uh, uh, like grind to it, or maybe it's it's nice, uh, melodic and sweet, you know, or something. I'm a sweet guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I just uh, I I don't put things around it that compete. You know, it's like hanging hanging great pictures on the wall in a, in a museum. Uh, you, you 
you see, you go to the Museum of Modern Art here, you look at these really uh, oh, dramatic pictures, you know, uh, but when you look at how they, where they put them, and they don't put them right close to one another. They're, they put them in places where you have to stand in front of them. You look, stand in front of it, looking at it. If you're standing there, you can't really see the next one. You know, because they know if you put too many things like that right together, they're not dramatic anymore. The effect is lost. Mm. Were there any particular musicians that you feel like you took that from the most? Oh, yeah. I mean, all the all the really good ones, actually. There's a... a, a uh, yeah, well, Sonny Rollins, you know, would come up with something, and uh, 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 Miles at a certain point. But later on, he did uh, do as much of that. There's more shapes and uh, it's kind of like chromatic kind of thing, you know. But uh, although he would still do it, uh, well, there's just about everybody I think that sounds sounds good. I mean, that's what I Herbie. That's for that's somebody, and. Uh, and uh, wow, I always think of Sonny Rollins, you know, and even Train, you know, the playing Train is known for playing lots of notes and all that. But then he knows how he breaks it up sometimes with some simple melodies, you know. So, what kind of effect do you feel like that has on the band as a whole? Yeah, well, it uh, it certainly it's a all of a sudden it's a plateau that you've arrived at, you know, uh, with a lot of open space. Ah, just at a new altitude, you know. It's just there, and you just you can look and see for miles, you know. And that's what it feels like. And uh, I never that successful in doing that, but I, I like to do things that like will break it up if I can. So I was going to ask you something. Uh, I've never heard this straight from you. Uh, the time that we spent together, but I've read in some interviews that you've done about a, a story that involves Thad Jones that was really pivotal for you when you were younger. So, something about, you know, he, he basically said something that immediately changed you as a player. Oh, Dad. Oh, yeah. Well, I was, I, I met him before I came to New York in, 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 in Kansas City at a jam session. And we played there. Under what circumstances, it's a little vague. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, so here I am playing with uh, uh, some of the guys. And uh, they're playing with some guys that had played with, uh, what's that band uh, that, that Bird played with? You know, uh, J, J. McShann. Mm, yeah. McShann, I knew some guys from there. So it's kind of old school, but happening anyway. So anyway, so uh, I played there, and uh, he heard that I could play. And so I'm talking to him about coming to New York. He said, great, bring your horn down on Monday. And and when you get there, first thing you do, bring your horn down there. I'll let you play with the band. And uh, so uh, I kind of blew it a little bit. I, I didn't bring my horn with me. And, and I, he says, the first thing he says, where's your horn? You know, this, well, I didn't know where to bring it. I said to bring it. Didn't I say to bring it? Said, yeah, well, why'd you bring it? I said, I, I wasn't sure, man. I didn't know. You know. I said, well, if you show up again, have your horn with you. <laughs> you know, and so, they're not friendly, you know, <laughs> just, you know, 
not not evil, but not friendly, you know. And yeah. So, uh, so, uh, so uh, I walked in next week with my horn, to, and sure enough, uh, I go back to the kitchen. He's back there. He says, "Ah, oh, I got your horn. Went, Good." And so and, and hang around till the third set. And so they played three sets in those days. It, you learn so much on the third set because you're tired of everything you played before. Yeah, totally. You can't stand to play it anymore. You buy some new things. But anyway, so he, he let me play on his blues. He sit on on this tune, and um, and uh, they shared a shared a stand with uh, Cecil Bridgewater, and then he had me play a solo. That's about the extent of it all. So I I just played like a blues, like I always would do, you know. And uh, so it's over. Everybody applauded. Yeah, Cecil would say, "Yeah, man, that's great." Blah blah. And, but in New York, everybody says, "Hey, you sound great." <laughs> hey, hey man, beautiful. Don't ever change. You know? <laughs> hey, hey, hey man, your sound greats. You know, uh, <laughs> it's always great. Isn't it? I've never heard you sound good. Um, <laughs> it, you, you can actually sell that with people. You know, you, if they're not hip to it, which they're right. Uh, man, I've never heard you sound good. <laughs> Congratulations, you know. You, you get the kid to go like, oh, oh thanks. Well, wow, well, yeah, gee, you know. No, but so anyway, so I get off the stand, you know, and I, uh, I walk through that, you know, that raised area over on the right-hand side of the room where it gets raised up higher than the rest of them. Uh, so I walked down up there, climbed, went down into the main part of the club, and, and Thad was across the uh, room, and he, and he pointed at me. And he's off the stand, you know, he's in the in the room and he said and he said and he does this. I, you can't see it, but I'm uh, taking my uh, index finger and gesturing, come here. And he didn't look happy. And uh so I went over there and went, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I'm never gonna play in this band again. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die, he's gonna have me killed. You know, <laughs> he's a big guy too. I mean he looks like, you know, like he just came off a football field or a, a heavyweight boxing match or something. He's just like this. He's as big as Elvin. Elvin's a big guy, but at that, he's like thicker or was thicker and heavier and maybe bigger. And uh, uh, so I come over there and he says, This is what he says. He says, Hey, you have a lot of ideas, but you just throw them away. You say one thing and then you just do something else and do something else. You never take time to relate them or develop them, make them do anything with them. You don't do anything with them. You don't talk that way. Why do you play like that? And then just turned and walked away. Wow. And I'm standing there frozen, you know, in place because this guy, it's, uh, I mean, he's a heroic kind of guy, you know. I mean, that, the way he plays, it's incredible. Well, you, you know, yeah, that's one of my big influences. That guy, transcribing his stuff uh, way back, and uh, uh, I, I think also you know you, you check some of those early albums out, fifties. You listen to what Thad is doing uh, harmonically and stuff, and then a couple of years later, listen to what Miles is doing. I think he, he's doing stuff before that, but it was kind of under the radar a little bit. Mm. I, Miles really had a lot of admiration for him, and. Uh, uh, I, I think uh, I've heard, I've seen him speak about him, you know, 
he didn't have much to say nice about anybody, but, but Thad and, and uh, 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 Clark Terry, those guys. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, I went home that night, and I uh, I got in about uh, uh, probably three o'clock. I went in the bedroom. And there was a walk-in closet, you know, and it's uh, full of clothes and stuff, and very dead in there. So I got in there, shut the door, and played. Uh, and I, I just played a, played solos. I got a metronome, turned it on. I just played solos and developed ideas. Played and, and tried to develop this and make this work out. I just thought that way constantly, and I did it the next day, and just the next day, the next day. And uh, I think the band was gone the next week. So I showed up two weeks later, thank God. And uh, it, it didn't ask me to sit in or anything. So I, I said, oh, I'm cool, you know. So finally, uh, next next week I showed up. I said, any chance of me maybe playing, playing the tune? I said, actually, yeah. You, you, uh, somebody's got to leave early, whoever it was. He covered him. So I did, and I had a tune to play. And so I, I did. And I approached it the, my new way. I was just a different player. I could just feel I was different. And uh, the guys in the band, I could tell that they looked around and said, "What? I don't remember him. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing." Yeah. And uh, and that I can't. Your your listeners will never see this, but like I'm just looking down and I'm looking up at you. They're nodding like that. Just one mm. one brief nod of about an inch. That was that was the praise there, you know, and I, and he never mentioned it again, you know, but uh, he heard it, you know. That's amazing to me that even in just a few weeks you were able to. Oh man, but it's how searing is that? I mean, it was just like someone like held your face up against a branding iron, you know. Hmm. I mean, my God, you know, that's going to leave a mark, you know. I mean, it's uh, have that guy. Uh, Standing a foot taller than I am, looking me, looking down at me, saying, you "Don't talk like that. Why do you play like that?" Like he's disgusted. He wasn't just uh, polite at all. He was disgusted, you know. And <laughs> and uh, I was feeling terrible. I, I I talked to Rufus. I called him up. He wasn't there yet. He was in Chicago. And uh, but I figured I, I I talked. I could talk to him. And uh, he said. Well, you know, you, you, you can think of it how you like, but he, he thought enough of you to tell you. You know, in New York, they don't tell you nothing. They just never use you again. Everybody tells you you play good. Nobody does what he does. Yeah. He made an exception for you. That must mean something. So then I did feel a lot better. So, uh, yeah, so I kind of took that for what it was worth. So we got to be pretty good friends, actually. So basically, you just, I mean, kind of going back to something you said earlier about like taking this like principle or this idea and practicing that idea, that's essentially just kind of what you did? Yeah. I mean, I just, because uh, I know about guys that do that, you know, Sonny or uh, um, Bob Brookmeyer, guys like that, you know, various, various people. Uh, uh, they, uh, they take an idea and they'll just work it, work it around. Thad, Thad's another one. And uh, 
I, I knew about that kind of playing, but I, I never really developed it, you know. And so I just did, and it became an integral part of what I do. Mm. And, uh, uh, you know, I probably did it too much in the beginning. You know how you overcompensate, but um, I don't know, maybe not. It's hard to say. Mm. But I, that's Well, that's the other thing. Uh, the other thing I, I liked was the, what I thought about being, being taken somewhere, and then there was, like, these beautiful melodies that guys can play that will kind of wrench you. Uh, the other thing I like is playing ideas and bringing them back and developing them, turning them around. There's a, a recording of uh, Bob Brookmeyer. It's on a record called Bob Brookmeyer. He, he played this solo on, uh, it'd be so nice to come home to. And, and, and uh, Dad Jones is on that record. Too. And, uh, Anyway, he played this and he, everything, he played the whole solo with this. And he, he did that in one form or another for the whole solo, just about, with the exception of maybe a total of like four or five, maybe six bars, you know, that he didn't do that. Yeah. And you think it's going to be boring and it, not. After a while, it starts to get funny. And then past funny, it's sort of amazing. Huh. Isn't that amazing? If anybody can find that, it's Bob Brookmeyer. And uh, it'd be so nice to come home to. But, uh, that's the quintessential use of, uh, of uh, motivic playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't do more than that, I think. Any more than that, you'd be going the opposite way. You know, they just play whole notes. <laughs> it looks like a, a fugue from the EOC period or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I want to make sure we get a chance to talk a little bit about um, just maybe some some trumpety things, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it. I mean, because you essentially wrote, you know, one of the the main texts that a lot of people refer to, I think, as as improvisers, like the, the Flexus book, of course. There's another one called The Art of Jazz Trumpet. That, that one, too. Yeah. But, uh, the, I'm, I'm the, you should be correct. I'm the co-author of that Flexus. And, uh, 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 Lori Frank. Right. Of recent memory. That was a great teacher. Man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, the best pies for anybody. Uh, she was like Carmine. Uh, Carmine could, could listen to him and know exactly what it was. And, uh, and uh, another, another great thing, Charlie Schluter, who used to play uh, uh, principal trumpet with the Boston Symphony. Yeah. He's a guy I knew pretty well. He, he could take your horn and your mouthpiece and play it and sound like you. And then they said, and, and, uh, and then he would say, now here's what I had to do to sound like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> He did it to me. I was just stunned. So, can you talk a little bit about studying with Carmine, like what that was like? And well, it was. I, I had never uh, run into uh, anybody like that before, and I, uh, I, I uh, was talking to trumpet players in town. I mean, I, I studied, at, you know, in college. So I, I took some old lessons from Bill Adam. Uh, you know. Seemed like it was using too much air for me. 
over over grilled over it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things we expected. Yeah, I need to study with him for like ten years and finally figure it out. I didn't have time, mm-hmm. so I said, "Well, did somebody move my life along a little faster?" So uh, I go to New York and uh, uh, Lou Solon. Remember that guy? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just everybody I, I asked, they, they would all say, just study, you know, just study with Carmine, straighten it right out. I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. So I went there and he, it's, I started off thinking about timing. And the way he explained it was uh, that the coordination is the movement of muscles in time. That's all it is. The timing is everything. And he said, it's playing trumpet is not strength, it's coordination. You know, there's some strength involved, but nothing that you can't acquire easily through like playing gigs or playing long calls or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, but this, but it's the, getting all the muscles to show up in the right place and in the right position. You know, and uh, and so uh, it just sounded so logical. And uh, mm-hmm. and we do these six notes, you know, where you uh, you know. Uh, Play like two half notes and a whole note and a whole rest. Yeah, yeah. Leave it on and just breathe through your nose. Go the chromatically G up to C and then do it again. And uh, boy, it really felt strange, you know. So then again, do these seconds, you know, diatonic seconds in the key of C, starting on G, whole note, whole note, like G A G, whole note, whole half note, half note, whole note, and uh, again, breathe through your nose. That's what the the first two things were. And uh, it really felt odd and strange, and and my I, you know, I cut off on G above the staff. I was feeling like a fool, you know. I have better range than that. And I said, "Oh man, I just can't do it." He said, "No, that's all right. You did fine." But we wait a minute. We're gonna pick it up right there. So I picked it up at G, and went on up to like <laughs> half above high C, you know, uh, and without changing it, you know. And then I was never able to play there again. <laughs> I shot myself later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, uh, uh, you know, it, it just it brought me uh, to, to such a place that uh, I, I just I'd never never been before in terms of like being able to do things that you know, my just deep depend on my face, you know, to do it would work actually. And uh and he told me, you know, you're gonna have bad days, you're gonna have stiff days. And I said, Well, okay, I won't let it bother me. And uh, and so sure enough, about uh, I went to see him every week. And about oh, maybe uh after the second lesson, two or three days after I, I couldn't play at all. And I'm calling him on Carmine, I can't you know what <laughs> And he said, I told you, just relax. And if you have a gig or a rehearsal night, I said, no, I'm not working. You know, I mean, <laughs> you, you know, place, someplace where there's a, a afternoon movies or anything like that. I said, well, what? well yeah, there's a, there's a place. Of, um, uh, there was a, a two or three good movie theaters in, around that point you'd be walking. And they were all from the Art Deco kind of period still. This one, and we had a, uh, and a, an upstairs lounge, you know, kind of thing, not a, a, a what do you call it, balcony. And uh, I, uh, so I would just, he said, just go, go, uh, go grab some beer, 
go up there, we'll watch a couple movies, come back home, you'll be fine. And just go to bed. Don't worry about it. And you'll be fine tomorrow. And so I did. I went, I walked up there, bought myself a, a with this one of these uh, cardboard containers of beer that you could take out, you know, walked across the street to the theater. They didn't mind that, you know, and go up, go up there, drank this beer, watched a couple of B movies, you know, the second one movies. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm, I'm pretty sleepy now. I guess I'll go home. And I'm coming home, went to sleep. And uh, he was right. Sounded, sounded fine the next day. So I, I don't know what that was, but I believed him to the point that my body believed me, I guess. And uh, I was playing lead with uh, Larry Elgard's band. Larry, Les and Larry Elgard were from the swing era. And they, uh, uh, no, it was just Larry. And uh, uh, he had his own old time swing band, you know, but it went up to like E above the above high C. It wasn't very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were up in Vermont or someplace doing doing us little uh, three or four days worth of, of gigs up there traveling. And uh, after, after the first night, you know, I called uh, Carmine up the next day and uh, I said, man, I got to talk to you. And I, I just feel terrible. My chops just feel terrible. He said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm playing lead on this. Man, oh, good, good for you. And uh, I said, well, what? Um, uh, but he said, what do you mean terrible? Are you, are, are you, are you missing notes? He said, no, no, I'm not missing anything. Are you playing in tune? Yeah, yeah, I'm in tune. Your time okay? Yeah, it's okay. And, uh, you know, you sound, no, I think it sounds okay, but it just, it feels terrible, you know. It's, what's, what's the problem? Everything's working out, you know. And, and, and he says, it, it feels bad because it's different. That's what you think of when something is feeling different. And it's working. Let me guess. He said, your chops are actually working better than they did previously, like two, two days ago, right? I said, well, that's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm doing a better job playing the parts than I was then. He said, well, it's, it's done a shift, and it feels funny, but it's not bad. You get go, what, what it, go by what it sounds like, and I felt like such a moron to that. Yeah, I'm hitting every note. I got, I'm not getting tired. That was another thing. No, I'm lasting okay. I'm nailing it pretty hard. I just feel terrible. You know? <laughs> and, and God, I felt uh, very quietly made you feel like an adult, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, I, I just, uh, I, I grew to, to be quite close to him, actually. Uh, Carmine was just a uh, un unprepossessing guy in many ways uh but he was uh man he's just smart and he just looked at you and you knew that he knew (laughs) so it seems like his his big thing was all timing really right well that was that was the he said the timing's the boss you know that and having steady air Hmm. timing and steady air those two things but he had uh a technique for everything. Like he cleared up my tonguing uh, pretty much. Like I, was, I was going like thud, 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 you know, kind of thing. And uh, he says, uh, uh, do, try doing like TS, like Tsar, you know, the, huh. the Tsar of uh, TSAR of Russia, you know, Tsar, like that. 
and he said you, you clip a sibilant to a plosive to, to let the air escape quicker. Huh. Click a sibilant to a plosive. And uh, anyway, uh, so clip the S or Z to a T or D. And uh, it releases the air quicker and sharpens it up. And uh, that's it, you know. He, he says, Arbenz actually says that. He says, it says, do, D-U. But he says, he's French. Not do, that's a, that's a German kind of thing. Mm. Do, do. He said, it's do, 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 more like that. Huh. And uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but maybe. And, uh, uh, but anyway, doing that, flipping the sibilant to a closing, that's a good thing to remember. Yeah. But, and then it brings it right up front, you know, so you're not tonguing in the back of your throat. And, uh, and sometimes when your tongue, the air will back up on you if your tongue is too big, you know? Yeah. It'll cause the air to back up. Not this. It goes through. So what do you, what do you feel like are some of the biggest misconceptions about flexus, if there are any? Because a lot of I hear a lot of people talk about it and a lot of people use it, but I'm sure you come across people who do things with it and and maybe aren't doing it the right way or something. Yeah, most of the uh, oh, there's this one guy. He he talked about it uh, and he said it's a, a limited use uh, or a said like. Uh, what what you have to do in order to accomplish these things is like you you uh, as you go go higher you slow down you have to slow down as you go forward go higher. They said that, they say to keep a steady tempo, but it doesn't work. You know you actually have to slow down when you get higher, as everyone knows. You know, and I thought that was a, that was a, somebody sent that to me. It was, it was on a, a chat room or something like that. Oh, of course, and that's where you find it. That, isn't that weird? No, this is like, and I, I think we don't make any, any big claims of it for it. You know, it's just like a lot of the flexibilities are stuff that uh, either we sort of invented, Carmine invented, uh, or is uh, stolen from really old sources. Like uh, there's a very old uh, Koprash um, hmm. uh, exercise book. Koprash, you usually think of those as being rather more simple. Sometimes uh, the lyrical ones for for trombone mm-hmm. have been adapted for trombone. Those are trombone players, not all of us. And uh, anyway, I, I I took this one exercise from it. I don't have my horn with me, but it's that one where you uh, go uh, you learn to go from uh, C up to G with no uh, uh, with with no valves. So the D is actually a low E. And then you play E normal, and then the F is a low G, and then up there. And it gets the higher you go, the hard, harder it is to go to drop that whole step, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, or the E is is like, uh, yeah. Well, the E is the E. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say low F, but it's not. Anyway, uh, so you just do those things up and down, and it really, uh, for me, had a. Uh, when I started doing those, I mean, years and years ago, it really, really solved a lot of problems of getting between notes, you know, uh, when playing uh, playing fast lines. That'd be something that 
for everybody if they want to play fast lines and and uh, or, uh, rather more narrow intervals and stuff. But you you can use this to kind of uh, you don't break down the slotting, but you just learn to overcome it. You know everything is slotted. You know there and but some horns like uh, Mark Committee, the slotting is not very it's not very robust, shall we say. Hmm. It's hard to play it in tune and hard to be accurate with it, but it's so flexible, you know? So uh, it's just amazing. So, so with, with this exercise, you can take something with slotting like a Bach and you can overcome it, overcome the effects of it. Hmm. So it, it uh, and it's something that it happens over time. You just, you learn to do these exercises and you just shake hands with them every day. Is don't practice them as such. Just live with them and practice them. Just shake hands with them every day, and, and uh, that's it. And it'll, the change will come about, and it'll, it'll be good for you. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, advanced flexibilities, I guess it is. Yeah. But there's a lot of things like like that, and uh, uh, and uh, we uh, like a trillion. You know, so it's like doing that and, then, and jumping around like that. And uh, uh, there's every everyone just about has has its detractors. I think. Said, What's the purpose of this? You know, and you're never going to see music like this. Why would you? you know, that's usually or it doesn't work. And uh, 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 Lots of times when people call up or uh, I, or uh, they send me emails, not so much recently, but in the, in, when it first came out, it was that way. Mm-hmm. The, uh, uh, I would get back to them. I said, well, like, okay, how do you practice? Do you breathe through your nose? Well, no. No, that's too hard to do. It bugs me. You know? I said, well, <laughs> you know, well uh, okay. But then it's not going to work, you know. <laughs> A lot of this stuff, oh, okay. But you, you know, the reason it doesn't work is because you're doing it wrong. But I mean, yeah, we're willing to do that, but it causes too much pressure. I said, well, in the, in the beginning maybe, but it's not going to cut you because it's not you're starting from one place. You're not, and you're not resetting and grinding it in. Mm. It's not going to cut you with that. You keep the same setup that you had it on the very first note. Unless you sharpen your mouthpiece every day, you know, maybe. yeah, yeah, I have to go sharpen my mouthpiece. Oh, it's time for my daily torture. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, so I got one more question. One more only. I mean, if you want to keep going, I'm down. But oh you know. man, I'm just getting warmed up. Oh, all right. What's your name anyway? This <laughs> just, stranger called me up today, and I just I'm talking to him all day. But it doesn't matter. Okay, <laughs> ask, ask me another question. So I guess last question, because uh, I don't want to keep you. Um, you know, we got the chance to work together for a handful of years when I was in New York, and and uh, I've told you before that I feel like you are one of the absolute best teachers out there, hands down. Well, thank um, you. And. Uh, you know, there were so many things that I observed as I was, you know, as we would hang out and stuff. But coming away from it, I think the one thing that changed the most in my playing was 
I felt like I was able to establish a connection to my ideas and to my sound and to what I was really hearing. And before that, it wasn't happening nearly to that level. Um, how how do you, I, I mean, you don't have to relive our lessons. Please don't relive our lessons. <laughs> but uh, with me holding you down and hitting you with, the, with something. Yeah, John, you're not supposed to tell him that. I'm sorry. It's, uh, okay, okay. Uh, but like, you know, you as a player, you, as I said earlier, you have your own voice to me and that's really special. And I feel like that was the biggest thing I took away from the time we spent together. So I guess I'm wondering just like maybe from a teaching standpoint, uh, or even a playing standpoint, like how do, how do you connect with your ideas or how do you help students to connect with their ideas like that? Well, well, that's, that's, you know, that's a question nobody asks ever or asks ever. It's always, how do you do this and that, but never, never, how do you do that? How does that come? In other words, to make that a goal. And, uh, uh, I think, uh, your goal should try to be well and truly your entire self. And it, it just doesn't mean anything to, to some people. They don't, they just don't understand the value of it. Once you experience it, you generally do. But some uh, some players, you know, they're uh, they're not looking for that. They want to be able to produce things on demand, and maybe get paid for it or whatever, or be be one of those guys that does that. Or it's it's not a very deep experience. But um, I'm I'm uh, I think uh, jazz is one of those things. I think it's needed. You know, it's the chance to um, do things new every time. Bring your own uh, way of doing things to uh, a piece of music, and, and make it your own, and and get your thoughts out like that. And and you can, and it's uh, <laughs> it's also as handy. It's a, it's a. Um, uh, it's not a real language like with words and everything. It's sort of an abstract language. So uh, you'd be saying things <laughs> on your trumpet that you would get, get arrested for if there were actually words, you know. <laughs> and people, of course, filter your sound and what you're doing through their own uh, uh, their own experiences. Like when uh, when Train was like really meditating a lot and, and uh, was at very much at peace in a very serene place. Uh, he was and they, uh, the critics and uh, everything would talk about how how angry he was, how angry you know this thing, this noise, and, you know, screaming and stuff like that. But it was it wasn't he wasn't angry at all. I mean, just the opposite. He felt that that was a way to achieve peace was through music. You know, mm-hmm. not that he was necessarily happy with. Uh, the, the civil rights, uh, the need for the civil rights movement, put it that way. He wasn't very, very happy with Jim Crow or anything like that. But it was, uh, but he was going out this other way. And because people would generally think, like, well, he, he's a black man, he must be angry. You know, because cause you can't understand why they wouldn't be angry, you know. So, I mean, so they would just do that. And uh, so they, his, it was not his real feelings at all at that point. At least the people that knew him that I've talked to that said yeah. that. Uh, that Elvin said that. It, it was, it was very, uh, 
serene, almost like a like a saintly kind of guy in many ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so, anyway, uh, I, I think the important thing that uh, you, that you can do with this music is to be able to channel your emotions through it, and you can express yourself with it, and eventually you get to the point where you can uh, be playing non-volitionally, you know, really. In other words, you don't have to think about playing, you just are playing, and uh, which is kind of spooky. In other words, uh, it takes a long time to, to get to do that. I can do it a little bit. Uh, I, not not so much now that I have enough opportunity. And, you know, right now I'm a little bit rusty, but uh, so you don't actually think about, I'm going to start here or anything. You just relax and you play. Just let the playing just happens. And that's, uh, it, for me, I can't just do it all the time because it's it's the next step for me in, in my own evolution. And, uh, but I can do it, you know. And, yeah. uh, and it, it, it makes it obvious uh, to see that uh, playing improvised music this way, especially in, in the jazz form, where it's like the unification of of all of different personalities and subsuming your personality into the will of the group, and yet everybody keeping their own ideas and their own personality, but making them work together. You know, subsuming himself into the group that way, willingly, and yet maintaining their own identity. That that doing that and getting so on top of it as to reach that non-volitional stage. I mean, it's a form of self-realization, you know, just as much as anything else. Yeah. And I really think it is. Uh, and uh, I can't really say more than that. But uh, I will I will say now, leading to that. A lot of the things that we did was I felt that like uh, you had learned. Hey, can I talk about you? Sure, go for it. Yeah. Well, uh, you were really terrible a musician, <laughs> and uh, and you needed a bath so bad. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we turned the hose on. You remember that first thing? Oh, I vividly. Yeah. Yeah, just have to, have to do it. It was winter, but you know, even so, outside in the cold, yeah, something had to be done. Anyway, uh, no. That was like my Thad Jones experience, you know, the equivalent. You know? <laughs> Searing but freezing at the same time. Right. But, uh, uh, no, you had uh, just uh, graduated or were graduating from uh, college at that point. And it was, I think it was pretty intelligent. I forget one, which one was uh, uh, Stony Brook or one of those. Yeah, purchased. Yeah. Purchase, purchase that one. Anyway, uh, so uh, uh, what you did was play. Uh, the way a jazz musician played, a jazz trumpet player played, you played jazz trumpet solos, the way they were supposed to be played. It was like that. You know, in other words, it was like not a totally academic approach. It wasn't that dry, but it didn't, it didn't speak of you. It was stuff that we heard before and it's put together, not, it's put together very competently, you know, very good actually, you know, Leaving things, but it didn't say anything about who you were. I wouldn't have any idea what kind of person you were. Listen, you play like that, except of course that does, as we said before, it does uh, uh, say something 
about who you are, you know, when you play like that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, so you remember what I had you do was you put the music in charge. I said, like, you know, said, like, play a phrase. So what is, uh, I think I gave you this as an exercise, I think, where you say, what does what I've just played call upon me to play next? Yeah. I mean, in other words, you're out of the way. And um, and you're you're not even deciding. It's music's deciding. Of course, it's not saying anything really. I mean, it's not deciding. You're deciding. But I mean, you. But you have to listen. You for put it. it put it in that position, you know. Yeah. And remove yourself from the from the uh, from the equation. You know, and uh, so we try. Well, that didn't work. Okay, let's try. Uh, that answers. Okay, now two things you played. What are those two mean? What do those call upon you to play next? And just go on like that. And uh, and then the other thing was to like uh, sing, sing solos. Don't be conscious of what notes you're singing. Just try to sing the sound of the chords and stuff. And just do whatever you can to uh, uh, not think of what the chords are, what the notes are you're singing. And approach it like, like sound. And then when you pick your horn up, play, give yourself the command. This is my voice. My voice sounds like this. In other words, you're not playing as though you were singing. You are singing. You just, yeah, you know, you got hit on the head or something or uh, abducted by aliens and they give you a shot and now your voice sounds like this. You're moving these keys up and down. Who the hell knows what those are for? You know, but I mean, you're just you're blowing it. You're, you're, your voice is coming out this tube now. You know, and, uh, and then, so, and then you place those two things side by side, singing, and then playing, and singing, playing, and and uh, and place express a desire that they become the same. And as with all things that you do that with, they do become the same. To become the same, you can't make them the same. They have to become the same. Yeah. And they will. It, it never fails. I mean, how can they not? Your uh, your subconscious is a very goal oriented mechanism. If you want something, it knows it. It's you, after all. It knows what you want. So, uh, so there's that, and then there's the emotional thing of like being like uh, trying to feel like when you sing, you're emotionally connected to singing, and then it's the same way with your with uh, your trumpet playing. Also, feel like like um, like you're overflowing, you know, with emotion. When you play, and it doesn't mean like ah, you know, like that. It can be, it can be like that. You know what I mean? It can be very, very quiet. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like yeah. it can be that. It's just, uh, and it's so awkward to try and do it because you don't know if you're doing it right. The answer is yes, you are. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, if you're trying, you're doing it right. And you just, there's no right. You just try to do it that way. Try to have these goals that I'm telling you about and do it on a regular basis and and see what you become. It takes a while, but you look back on it, it's breathtakingly quick. And it was. I mean, I remember for me, like... I, I know. You, you're, it's because you're a smart guy. Well, I mean... And you but, believe me also. 
I, I did. Well, I mean, because I knew I was like, you know, you, when I would hear you play, you had that connection to your ideas that I felt like I didn't have. Like I was playing ideas, but I, I wasn't really like owning them or something. Well, they, you didn't have the 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 uh, the emotional connection with them, or and they didn't have a connection with what with what you thought music was. Sure, it was there were other people's music still at that point. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, what uh, what you did, and you believe me, that was uh, that was an important thing. Most people doubt they they think this this guy's going to make a fool of me, or I feel like such a fool, and you didn't care. You said, "Well, okay." He said, "Work on this. I'm just going to work on it." That's what you said. I think said, I'm just going to work on it, like you said, and you did that, and it worked. Uh, you know, you know. I mean, fancy that, right? Yeah, really. Just put in the work. Yeah, but Carmine always said, you know, you learn everything the same way. You expose yourself to what you want to learn and repeat the exposure. Hmm. And you don't have to do it right all the time. You just, you know, have to make the attempt with the, the right method of it. Have it. You're trying to do that way. You're trying to do it. Just keep trying like that. Keep it in mind what you want, and uh, and it so much is taken care of. I mean, if you do that, it, uh, it'll just go on. Your subconscious will do do it for you. You guys see what I'm talking about, man? Don't sleep on John McNeil, right? This guy is the truth, man. What a pleasure it was to reconnect with him. Get that McNeil humor. <laughs> oh, man. It's timeless. It kills me every time. But for real, if you guys don't have the Flexus book or the Art of Jazz Trumpet book already, be sure to pick those up. you got to have those in your library if you're a jazz trumpet player out there. And while you're at it, get more familiar with John's music and his playing because he's a really special voice on this instrument that we can't overlook. All right. Episode 6. Drops in a couple weeks. It's an incredible conversation with Keon Harold. You guys definitely don't want to miss that one. So hit subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks for checking it out. We'll see you again soon. <laughs>